Uh, I believe uh, that God calls all of his people to be risk takers and to join in a great adventure with Jesus. When I think about the missionaries and the calling on their life, I celebrate today how these people are taking risks in their current context, where they are and the challenges they face, even the Uptons in Panama, the, the risk that takes. I think throughout my life, I, sometimes we stay away from the Spirit. Because we come into church and we like church to be, we like to know what's going on and how it's going to flow. And we don't really give room or we're not sure what to give room for the Spirit to really do. Like the crazy uncle at a family reunion. But here, there's just too much. Uh, if you, I don't know how you grew up learning to swim. Maybe you grew up learning to swim like my grandpa and he just had brothers who like threw him in a river one day. And he like had to learn to swim to save his own life. Uh, I grew up taking swim lessons and then jumping off diving boards. And I, this was one of the times in my life where I would consider myself an inconsistent risk taker because I wasn't like my two boys who just will jump into any body of water. I was, I was very hesitant to jump into a pool. Uh, and I remember being at the swimming pool, which at the time just looked like this enormous pool, and the diving board felt like 20 feet high. And, and I remember before I jumped off the diving board for the first time, you know, I had my floaties on, and I'm looking around at these lifeguards, and I'm trying to think, you know, will these people, like if something goes wrong in the water, are they really going to jump in and save me, or am, am I going to be left on my own? And I remember on the diving board, I was there, my Superman Speedo, and my... Uh, um, Got my floaties on and my mom's over there cheering me on. Like, baby, you can do this. And next to my mom's Casey. And they're like, Josh, you're 23. You got this, all right? I'm just joking. I was four. I was four, okay? I, and I remember trying to think, you know, will these lifeguards, are they able to save me, all right? Uh, and, and I've never been a lifeguard, but I've known a lot of them. My brother was a lifeguard for a while. And I remember just talking to him some about, like, what, the, what kind of training he had to do. And, and what, what I do know about lifeguards is that when they, they're, they're, they are not just trained to spot danger. They're not trained to sit up in a chair and to notice when someone is struggling in the water. So they don't just sit up in a chair and spot it and occasionally throw things at people who seem like they're in need and hopefully they can take hold of it. They are trained to spot and then to jump in to whatever crisis may, may exist in the water. So there's a crisis, someone's struggling, I may try to throw something to them. If that doesn't work, I'm jumping in. And I, I just, I'm, I'm worried today that there are too many Christians in too many churches who are like lifeguards who are afraid to jump into the water. That we may spot trouble and we see trouble and we know people around us are lost and they don't have a connection with Jesus at all. And we know people are struggling and we know there are injustices and we spot it, yet we don't jump in. And sometimes people are hesitant to jump into situations where people are fully immersed in sin because we don't want to be taken down with them. But if, if you know what lifeguards do, they are trained. They know how to, I'm jumping in with some principles and rules and boundaries of how I protect myself, but also how I can step into a situation or swim into a situation and rescue someone. Today, for every check, for every dollar, for everyone who jumped online to give money to Ukraine and Greece and Zambia and Panama, what we're saying as a church is we don't want to be a lifeguard. It's just spotting danger, but we're not do something about it. Today, we are throwing, we are giving resources to try to bring life to people who are in desperate need of life. And this is all because we serve a God who spotted danger and who saw sin and chose to do something about it. Where he didn't just throw down a rope and say, hey, you people, grab the rope and I may pull you to safety. What God showed us through Jesus is he stepped, he stepped into the mess. He dove into the mess. 
He stepped in. He took a risk. And I want to open us up this morning to two verses. I just want to unpack two verses for us today. Romans chapter 8, verse 26 and 27. Open your Bibles. We're in a series right now called Living Spirit. We're walking through Romans chapter 8. I have two weeks after today left in Romans 8. It's going to be about a nine-week series. I don't know what the last few weeks have been like for you, but if you want to jump on and hear what the series has been like, you can jump online. You can, we have a podcast that's released every Monday morning about 10 o'clock. You can jump on. In fact, when it comes to the podcast, you can subscribe to a podcast, and that way it will automatically download to your device mid-morning on Monday so you can kind of keep up with the journey we're on as a church. Uh, I told us last week, um, I don't want us to read the Bible. Like today, I'm just focusing on two verses, but there's all of Romans 8 in this context. So I encourage you to take just a few minutes to go home and read all of Romans 8 in light of the two verses we're studying today. Romans chapter 8, verse 26 and 27 goes like this. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we ought. But that very Spirit intercedes with sighs and groans that are too deep for words. And God who searches the heart knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according or in accordance to the will of God. For the reading of the word, the church said, Amen. Amen. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ shows up around 21 times in Romans chapter 8. This is the last time the Spirit is mentioned here in this section. Uh, and I, I don't know how some of you maybe, do you know who the crazy uncle is at your family reunion? I, everybody has a crazy uncle. Maybe you have a crazy aunt. And I had a friend the other day who was talking to me about the crazy uncle at his family reunion. And his crazy uncle's an alcoholic. And when they throw family reunions, they try not to invite him. They send emails and they don't attach him to them. Like they make phone calls and they make all the plans and they don't want the crazy uncle to know because if he knows, if he comes, drama breaks out and you never know what to expect. How many of you know who the crazy uncle is in your family? Just raise your hand, all right? And you know the joke, right? Like if you don't know who it is, you probably are the crazy uncle or aunt in your family. Uh, uh, <laughs> I mean, I think all of us know who that is, but, but sometimes I feel like the church for years, this is kind of how we view the Holy Spirit. That he's like the crazy uncle or she, she's like the, the crazy aunt. And we aren't really even sure what to call the Holy Spirit. Is the Holy Spirit an it, a he, or a she? Which I'm fine with like all three of those. Because when it comes to the Spirit, the Greek isn't even really sure what to call the Spirit. But the thing we struggle with the Spirit is even how Jesus describes the Spirit in John chapter 3. Is that the Spirit is like the wind. It just blows wherever the Spirit wants to go. You can't control the Spirit. You cannot tame the Spirit. And this is why sometimes we stay away from the Spirit. Because we come in the church and we like church to be. We like to know what's going on and how it's going to flow. And we don't really give room or we're not sure what to give room for the Spirit to really do. Like the crazy uncle at a family reunion. But here, there's just too much that the Holy Spirit offers us. And there's too much in our lives that are activated through the Spirit. Jesus thought so much of the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 14, 15, and 16, Jesus says, It's better for me to go away and for the Holy Spirit to come. You are better off. If the body, the physical body of Jesus goes away and the Spirit comes, you're better off. If Jesus had that high of a view of the Holy Spirit, I better raise my view of the Spirit too. In 1 Corinthians, it's the, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, 3, nobody can confess Jesus as Lord without the Holy Spirit. 
It's the Holy Spirit who dwells in people, but it's also the Spirit who is roaming the world this very moment, convicting hearts, poking hearts, opening people up to how good God is. And here, there's just a few things, and let me walk through a few things that the promises and challenges that are given to us of what the Holy Spirit offers in verse 26 and 27. The first one is this, and if you take notes, write them down. I'm going to have a few quotes on the screen, and feel free to have your phones handy if you want to take pictures of the quotes, or you can, you can shoot me an email later. I'm happy to give some of these to you, okay? And, and the first thing I want to focus on is this. The Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. And before we talk about how the Holy Spirit helps, I want to talk about weakness, Because we live in a culture, we live in a country, we live in a time where it's really hard for us to acknowledge and to articulate and to be honest about the weaknesses in our lives. Uh, And and this is for a lot of reasons. Now, there are a lot of different weaknesses that are even represented in this room. For for some of you, there's physical weakness. There's, There's chronic pain that some of you are suffering with. Uh, But for some, there's circumstantial weakness. You're in a season of weakness because the job is causing a lot of stress or there's some issues and family dynamics and there's circumstantial weaknesses. There's also moral weaknesses because of sin that we know exists in our lives and the way sin often works is it wants to isolate you from relationships or from the church or in your marriage and when sin and when the evil one is able to isolate us in that kind of way, isolation and sin go together so well. So there's, there's moral um, that there's moral, there's circumstantial weakness, there's physical weakness. Um, sometimes I think we struggle to think that hope and weakness can exist together. We think they contradict each other. But if you read Paul or you read the Bible, hope and weakness often go together. Uh, occasionally I'm up at Celebrate Recovery. They meet here Tuesday nights at 6.30. Wonderful ministry in the life of our church. And there have been a couple of times that I've been able to teach lessons at Celebrate Recovery that are based on the step and the principle of you need to take inventory of yourself. Where are there weaknesses inside of me? And how do I acknowledge them and get real about them so that God can redeem them and navigate me through some of these weaknesses in my life? Uh, James Dunn says this when it comes to weaknesses. He says, human weakness unacknowledged is the very mindset which gives sin its hold over a person. So the Spirit of God is working and is active in the depths of human inability and human inefficiencies and human inadequacy. It's been said before that only the weak really know how to pray. And I think there's a lot of truth in that statement. That when you are weak in the presence of God, you are strong. When you are weak in the presence of God, you're strong. But here's why it's a struggle sometimes acknowledging our weakness. Because we don't know how to articulate it. We don't know how to talk about it. We don't know how to talk about it when we're with other people. I think it's the reason when we set up prayer areas at the end of our worship service or at the end of sermons, some people struggle with whether they should go to a prayer warrior or not because you don't know how to articulate the weakness in your life. And sometimes it even creeps into our prayer life where there's a weakness in me and I really, I don't even know how to pray about this to God because maybe it seems so petty or I'm not even able to put it into words. This past week, I had a two-day retreat. There, uh, a group of preachers, we get together once a year. We've done this now for nine years. And we sit in a circle and for eight hours over one night and the next morning, we sat around and we confessed and we talked about our lives and how we were doing it. And we talked about victories and we talked about struggles. And I was in this group of, this, this circle of, of other men, other preachers. And I was trying to articulate some of the weaknesses in my own life. Some insecurities that I know were there, but I'm struggling to how to just articulate them. And here's one thing I loved about the group of people I was with. 
while I was struggling to find words to adequately express some of the weaknesses in my life. My friends didn't feel like they had to jump to the rescue to put my experiences into words. Or when there was a moment of silence because I'm trying to find words to continue to talk about how I'm doing, my friends didn't feel like, hey, there's awkward silence, so let's jump in and change the subject or move this conversation in another direction. They let me sit in the confusion and the chaos. Sometimes we need to be friends who give others permission to do that. That you're struggling articulating what's going on in your life and I'm not going to try to put words in your own mouth. I just want you to know I'm going to love you right here where, we, where you are as you try to find the words to describe where you are. And, and we come to God in prayer sometimes with this kind of weakness. Sometimes I feel like in prayer, it's like the cat got the tongue, right? There's some junk going on in my life and I don't even really know how to talk about it with God. It's been this way in other relationships sometimes. In high school, there were times I was in dating slumps and I would try to ask a girl out and the wrong words came. The Will Smith pickup lines from Fresh Prince that I had used before weren't having the same effect. I had a friend one time, he bought me and my brother, he bought us tickets to a Dallas Mavericks game. It was some celebration we were having. There were three of us there. And we were the row behind the opponent's bench. We're sitting behind the New York Knicks. And there's Larry Brown. He's a legend. Hall of Fame coach. One of the greatest coaches of all time. And he was just a few feet from me. (coughs) Excuse me. And I had never sat this close before. So before the game, Larry's there. And I'm there. And I'm like, Larry, what's going on, man? Larry, Larry over here. And he's only like 10 feet from me. And he turned and he stared at me. And he shrugged his shoulders like, what? Like he wanted me to respond, but I wasn't, I wasn't prepared to engage in a conversation. And he's like, what? And I, all I could think to say was, you call good plays. All right, that's, <laughs> this isn't preacher exaggeration. It's like, I had no clue what to say. I wasn't prepared. And that's what I said to NBA legend coach. Larry Brown, you call good plays. That's what I said, all right? There are times I come into the presence of God and there's sin in my life or weaknesses or unhealthy emotions or insecurities. And I'm like, God, I, I don't even know how to, I don't even know how to pray. I don't even know what words to say. And here's a few ways I want to encourage you today. Not knowing how to pray is not the same thing as giving up on prayer. Not knowing exactly how to express yourself is not the same thing as just making a decision in your life not to pray at all. Uh, Douglas Moo, which is a great name, right? (laughs) He says this, Our inability to pray as precisely as we would like is no hindrance to the working out of God's perfect will in our lives. That when we come into the presence of God, if we don't know what to say or how to say it, the Holy Spirit steps in. The Spirit steps in to try to make sense of whatever it is that we're offering up to God. In in chapter 8, verse 26, it says, The Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. Now, this word help here, if you're taking notes, jot, jot down a few of these phrases. This word help, this means to take part with, or to assist in supporting, or to lend a hand, or to come to the aid of. This is the sense of taking part in a responsibility or task so that something of its weight or burden is shared. And I think this is really important. Okay, because the Holy Spirit helping us in our weakness in chapter 8, verse 26, this is not the same thing as Jesus atoning for your sin. 
When Jesus atoned for your sin, he took on the sin of the world. It's not like Jesus took on like 95% of the sin and left five on you so you would know the depth of your sin. It's that Jesus took all of it on. And what we're told by the Holy Spirit in chapter 8, verse 26, is not that the Holy Spirit steps in and takes away your weakness or takes your weakness and puts it on him. It's that the Holy Spirit is coming to help us, help navigate us through the weakness, to share the burden, to help point us in the right direction, point us to Christ, moving in that way. And sometimes I'm concerned if Christians today have the patience to develop the kind of intimacy with God that God requires and that God wants with his people. That we have the patience to sit through seasons of not knowing how to articulate ourselves in prayer, believing that the Spirit is working through that and there's a connection being made. So what we're told in chapter 8, verse 26, is, th- is that in those moments when you are weak that, and, and you don't know exactly how to pray, the Spirit of God is offering up sighs and groanings that can't be expressed with words. There are three different times that you see uh, groanings. We talked about a couple of them last week. In Romans chapter 8, creation groans longing for redemption. Humanity, humans, we groan longing for the redemption of our bodies. And now you see the Spirit groaning. One of the reasons I think we struggle with knowing like, what this whole groaning thing is about is because we don't communicate this way. Like we're not called to some spirituality of Chewbacca, right? Like, it's, like we don't communicate with groans unless we're eating barbecue ribs. I mean, I eat ribs with people and for 10 minutes, it's nothing but groans, all right? Groans in size. But we don't, we don't usually communicate this way. But I was talking to Casey last night. I said, Casey, with the friends that you have in your life, when do people groan and sigh in communication? And she said when they are in pain or they're struggling. Sometimes that's all they had to offer. And according to Romans chapter 8, and according to the Bible, groans and sighs are valid ways to pray. Not only that, they're effective forms of prayer. Sometimes the best thing you may have to offer up to God isn't you trying to find words to pray. It's that you are taking time to sit in the presence of God and all you have is a groan or a sigh. And the Spirit knows what to do with that. Uh, and that because uh, what is so vital in prayer, and, and I believe this to the core, it's really pressed, been pressed on me in the last few weeks, is that what is so vital in prayer is not the saying of words, it's having a heart that is dependent upon God. And it's believing that the Holy Spirit is not just one who spoke 2,000 years ago, it's the Holy Spirit who still speaks today. The Holy Spirit hasn't been confined to the Word of God. The Holy Spirit is still working and moving in our hearts. Stuart Briscoe said this, There is comfort in knowing that even the unspoken prayer of the uninformed opinion springing from the uninformed mind is valid when prompted by the Spirit who steps in and invests a sigh with significance and the uh, tear with meaning. Verse 27 says this, that God searches the hearts of people and God knows the mind of the Spirit and that the Spirit is interceding for us. Uh, so let me unpack just a little bit of this. God is searching the heart. This heart is, it's, it's cardia. It's like cardio, it's cardia. This is, the, this is the seat of the inner life. This is where values and morals and motives are not just formed, but it's where they are rooted So what's happening in prayer 
is that we are coming to God with some form of expression. And it's the Spirit of God who can intercede and can take just a bunch of mumbled words. And I don't think Paul's referring to speaking in tongues here like in 1 Corinthians. It's just groans and sighs that are coming up, coming from us. That God is able, the Spirit is able to interpret that and with, with the, all of the hosts of heaven. And God knows the mind of the Spirit. And there's this, this connection happening between humanity and between the Spirit. There's this connection uh, that is somehow making sense. But God is searching the heart, which can be a scary thing if you really think about it, right? But I think this is meant to be a comforting word here, that God is searching the heart. I, I remember I told you a few years ago, back in 2012, when I was finishing my first book, I, I, uh, I had paid for a trip to get away to go to Kansas City to finish my manuscript. Uh, there, there's, a, um, there's this place of prayer in Kansas City, and I had heard that a lot of authors go there to write. So I had booked a trip, and a lot of times when I get the flights, I don't get that $20 insurance, so I didn't get the insurance, and booked a trip, had a hotel, and, and I ended up finishing the manuscript weeks before the trip, so I was going to cancel the trip because there was a lot going on here at Sycamore View and in Memphis, and, and Casey came to me, and she's like, Josh, I, I think you still need to go to Kansas City. And I was like, baby, look at my to-do list. I can't. She said, no, I think you need to go and take three days just to be with Jesus. She said, you need Jesus. And I didn't really like the way she said it, like, you need Jesus. I'm like, you need Jesus. What do you mean I need Jesus? I'm good. And she's like, I, th I think you could use this a few days just to get away with really no, no to-do list, just to go and pray. So, so I took the advice of my wife, and I went. Three days. I didn't have a sermon to write that week. Nothing else going on in my life. That I, that I didn't have a book to write. I'd been released from, from some pastoral roles that week. So for three days, I just went, and I went to this prayer house where all I did was sit in a place and pray. The one verse or two verses, the one section of Scripture I took with me was Psalm 139, 23, and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. See if there's anything offensive in me and lead me in the everlasting way. And I took that prayer to this prayer house where for hours... I prayed that prayer over and over again, hundreds of times. Because I don't know if you, sometimes it takes me praying with my lips, and then whatever I'm saying goes to my mind, and it takes longer for it to go from my mind to my heart. So I'm, I'm just praying those two verses over and over again. And after a few hours, I didn't hear the audible voice of God, but I sensed the Lord speaking to my heart, saying, I need you to keep praying those two verses, because you really have no clue what you're asking for. And I continue to pray, search me, O God, and know my heart. As God began to lay bare these things to me that I didn't know exist, it was like for a day and a half, almost two days, God was just taking me apart. It was like this Lego set, and God just hit it, and it just crashed. Before the third day, God started kind of putting me back together. And it was that trip that I began to believe, and I felt like the Lord was teaching me that there's so much God desires the place inside of his people, but we don't know how to give God the time of day. And we're so distracted and we're so exhausted that how's God going to speak a clear word into a distracted, exhausted heart? And it's also when I felt God really started to teach me that God has, when he comes after our hearts, God has our best interests in mind that he wants to lead us to a healthier place. It's not because he wants to leave us broken. It's because any any form of dismantling God does is to put us in, back together and to make us into these beautiful people God has created us to be. God searches the heart. 
and he searches the heart, and he knows the mind of the Spirit. Here's one thing. I don't want you walking away from this sermon believing. I don't think Paul is teaching here that he's not saying that the Spirit will pray for you so you don't need to worry about praying. This isn't that the Spirit of God lives in you and the Spirit of God knows how to pray so you don't need to worry about praying because the Spirit will pray for you. It's not that. I think what Paul is saying is you need to give the Spirit of God something to interpret before the heavens. And it may be time, it may be sacrifice, it is dependence, it may be a groan, it may be a sigh. We need to give the Spirit of God something to take before the heavens, to lay before the hosts of heavens. It's Tony Evans who said, that's why you can say nothing and be engaged in intense prayer or say something and not really be praying at all. Prayer has to come from within to be valid. And here's what I love about the challenge of trying to embrace and live into the fullness of verse 26 and 27 is there's this basic orientation to dependence on God which still looks to God and desires God even when we can't find the right words to say. And it is received before the heavens as prayer that matters. I hope this is helpful or hopeful to somebody here today. Um, whenever uh, I've been to a foreign country, Whenever I went to Zambia, there was one day we went to this marketplace. And I was going to buy a few things for Casey and the kids. Um, but where we were going, there were people there who didn't speak the same language I speak. They're from a different culture. And I'm a people pleaser at heart. So even when it comes to negotiations, like I'm not really good at it. So people could be like, oh, that's 150 U.S. dollars for this little bitty cup of, you know, something we made. And I'm like, okay, oh, sure, why not? But uh, I took somebody who had been in Zambia for years with me because this was someone who knew multiple languages. And they understood the Zambian culture. And she was able to negotiate for me. They would say it's 100 U.S. dollars. She could get it down to 15. She knew what it really cost. She knew my context, and she knew their context. She knew my culture, she knew their culture. And when it comes to prayer and discerning life, the beauty and the power and the greatness of the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit knows you, and the Holy Spirit knows the nature of heaven. And the Spirit is able to sync these and bring them together. And here's what happens in Romans 6, 8. 26 and 27, the Holy Spirit is interceding in accordance with God's will. It's not in accordance with what you want for your life. It's with God's will. So it's not that the Holy Spirit is going before God and the hosts of heaven with the desires and the wills of your life. It's that the Holy Spirit is listening to heaven, wanting your heart to be in tune with God's will, God's will and God's will for your life. Sometimes I think in prayer, we come before God and say, what is God's will for my life? We want to go, what God's will for our life is. And I think a lot of times God's responding with, first of all, we need to talk about what my will is. That before we get to the specifics of the will for your life, let's talk about God's will. And God's will is faithfulness and obedience and covenant and having a heart that wants to know God and surrender to God and be dependent upon God for everything. And once you establish that, then we can start talking about God's will for your life. So can I ask the prayer leaders, prayer warriors, shepherds to go to the places where you receive people for prayer? And we're going to sing a song now. <clears throat> and as we sing a song, it's just a declaration. It's a cry of our heart. 
if there's someone here and the Holy Spirit has been prompting you because you've never surrendered your life to Jesus before and you've never been baptized, I invite you to the front where we can talk with you, pray with you, and celebrate a day where you surrender your life to Christ. If there are other needs in your life around the room, you see where people are standing to receive you for prayer, they are not here to counsel you. They are here to pray for you. So even if you go to them and you can't put words, you can't make sense of a lot of words, just, if you just need to receive a blessing from the Lord, we're here to, we're here to pray with you and for you. Let's stand together. Let's sing a song together.